0: As we continue our look at the book of Acts, Uh, if you don't have a Bible, it's printed in your order of worship, the passage we're looking at today. Um, And uh, as I mentioned before, if you are here and you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles here. Um, I believe there's some on the shelf in the foyer and you're welcome to grab one and take it and read it uh, at home. I encourage you to do so. It'll only do you good. Um, We've been looking at Acts, and so far in the first 11 chapters of Acts, we have seen the church has been growing, it's been multiplying, God has been adding in just numbers to his people that that have come to believe that Jesus is risen, that he is Lord, that he is Savior. And uh, at the same time, we've also seen opposition to the church, people who are continually, consistently trying to stop the church from growing. And... uh, they're, uh, they've, they've um, killed people. In, in Acts chapter 7, we saw how Stephen was the first Christian to die for his faith. Um, in, at the beginning of Acts 12, what happens is Herod, who is the king, takes hold of James, who is one of the original disciples, and he executes, he kills James. And, uh, and because of the, it, it does a lot for his reputation, the Jews really appreciate the fact that he's killed one of the disciples. And so he then takes hold of Peter and arrests him and puts him in prison. And, and the, the, the likelihood is that he's going to kill Peter as well. So the, the, the church at the time in Jerusalem had, had real reason to be afraid. But at the same time, they also believed that God was real and that he is good and that he cared and that he was capable of doing something. And so this is what happens next. I'm going to read from Acts 12. I'm going to start in verse 5 and go to verse 17. So Peter is in prison and looking towards the fact that he may be dying soon at the hands of Herod. Listen to God's word. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night... And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, You are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and and they kept saying, It's his angel. But Peter continued knocking, And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that your spirit would work right now in such a way that uh, we would, as we just sang, that we would be overcome by your presence. Father, we pray that you would use your word right now, that you would speak clearly through your word, that, uh, that your spirit would work in each of us, in each of our hearts in such a way that, uh, that we would actually, truly be changed, that we would become people that are different than we were when we walked in here this morning. Father, we pray that you would speak, that you would have your way with us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you realize what we have just done? Do you realize what we have just done? Well, I did it, and you were hopefully doing it with me. Uh, have you ever seen one of those movies where there's like an archaeologist kind of digging in this place and he discovers some tomb of some ancient mummy or something like that and, and then it comes to life and it has this unlimited power and it's evil and then it wreaks havoc on everyone and the, eventually at some point the archaeologist is like, what have I done? You ever seen something like that happen? Um, well, we, we just prayed and we asked God to do something. We asked him to intervene here. Do you realize what we've just done? I mean, um, normally I think a lot of us we have an attitude towards prayer where it's just kind of something that we do. Um, When I pray at the beginning of the message every week, you just kind of everybody probably just treats it. That's just something that happens right before Jeff talks for a while. You know, it's a thing that we do, or we maybe pray before meals. When we eat, sometimes. It's just something that we do. Um, maybe some of us, when we're going through something that's very difficult, we pray. But even then, it's, it's, a lot of us kind of treat prayer as something that maybe just makes us feel a little better. But how, much, how many of us really realize what we're doing when we pray? What we're doing when we inv- invite God I mean, it's a, it's a poor comparison to the mummy monster thing, right? Because the, the monster is purely evil and has all this power. But, but when we pray and we invite God to do something, we're inviting somebody who, who, yes, has unlimited power, but who is absolutely good to do something. Do we realize what we've done? Well, I, I believe that this passage in Acts 12, it's... it's As much as anything else, it is an encouragement. It's here in Acts to encourage the the, the people who are reading this book at first, the the early Christians, but, but also us, Christians throughout history, to believe that God listens and that he answers prayer. That when we pray to him, when we ask him to do something, that it's not just something that we do. It's, it's, it's something where, where, where he is eager to respond and to answer and to do things. And, and what I want to do is just look at this passage for a few minutes and, and talk about what, what are the ways that God does answer the prayers of the people. Because that's what they do, right? Peter's in, in prison, and what does it say in verse 5? It says, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. I think this, this passage is inviting us to lives of earnest prayer. To actually cry out to God and believe that he's going to do things. And, and he's going to answer. And so, so how does God answer here? What are some ways that God answers the people here? And I'm going to take the, the, the outline that you have in your bulletin. We're going we're to flip it a little bit. We're going to do it a little out of order. We're going to start with the fact that God, God's answers are supernatural. Sometimes they're supernatural. That's the second point, right? We're starting with that one. I mean, because that's the big obvious point here, Right? I mean, when Peter, the way that Peter gets out of prison is, is a supernatural event. It's miraculous. It's, and, and the passage, Luke makes it clear that it's God who gets Peter out. You know, normally uh, when, when you watch movies and there's like this rescue attempt that happens, usually it's like an Ocean's Eleven thing, you know, you need a big team of people we all have different roles. There's like the people that are tunneling under the wall. There's somebody who's creating a, uh, you know, a, a distraction. There's a person in the in the in the control room with a headset who's like speaking everybody in their ears at the same time to make sure everything's coordinated and they can escape. You know, there's there's all this coordinated effort, but that's not what happens here, right? An angel shows up out of nowhere, tells Peter to get up. The chains fall off. They just fall off. And then he walks past one, two, three. I don't know how many guards he actually walks past. But he just walks right past them as if he's invisible. I don't know if he's invisible or if they're just completely oblivious. But he just walks right past them. And then he gets to a gate. And what happens with the gate? The gate just opens of its own accord. It just opens. God's making it absolutely clear. I am doing this. This is a supernatural thing. I can do what you cannot. What is impossible for you is entirely possible for me. So that's one of the ways that God answers their prayers. It's this miraculous, supernatural thing where Peter just walks right out of the prison with, with no trouble whatsoever. I think this is what we have to believe when we pray to God. That what is impossible for us is entirely possible for him, that it's easy for him even. It's like nothing. I mean, as you you read this, Peter just nonchalantly walks out. The the gate just opens. Like, it's it's so crazy and unbelievable that he thinks he's seeing a vision. It's hard for him to realize that it's really happening. But this is what God is capable of. He's capable of, of doing stuff that we cannot even imagine can happen. He can make chains fall off. He can make gates open up by themselves. He can make people invisible. He can cure disease. He can heal relationships that are absolutely shattered and broken and beyond any sort of repair. He can give peace to you in the midst of anxiety that is absolutely crushing and oppressive he can open somebody's eyes who is stubborn in their refusal to believe that he is real and that he is good. God can do anything he wants. And, and, and we need to remember that as we think about praying to him, that he can do anything. What, what looks impossible to us is entirely possible for him. And as I say that, we, we need to realize that he's not just encouraging us to kind of think, of like, what, what is something that I want that's impossible for me to get? Yeah, I'd really love to have a Cadillac. I'm going to pray for that. He can provide a Cadillac for me. No, what, what's happening here, the, the way that God is answering prayer here is in service to the mission of the church, right? And so I think we, we, need, to, we need to widen our expectations, enlarge our expectations of what God can do and wants to do and will do through us, through our prayers for the church and for his work to communicate the good news of Jesus in our community, in our families, in our friendships. We need to believe that he is able to do immeasurably more than all we can imagine. God's answers are supernatural. But, but having said that, I think we also need to notice, as you look at this passage, that God's answers are sometimes, maybe often, subtle. Sometimes God's answers are subtle. That's the first point. When you read this chapter, it's obvious that God answers the prayers of the people by rescuing Peter in the supernatural way, right? But actually, I think that there is an answer to the prayer of the people that happens in the very beginning of the passage that it's easy to just, even, to just breeze right past, that we don't even realize. Because think about it. Peter is in prison. He's facing the fact that he might die. Maybe the next day. And so if you you were in that situation, what would you be doing? I know what I'd be doing. My mind would be racing a mile a minute. I would be thinking about how scared I was. I would be thinking about, you know, is there something that I could maybe say to Herod that, that would cause him to spare my life? Or maybe is there something that I need to say about who Jesus is, that that Herod might listen to. I might be, I can imagine Peter worrying and thinking about, you know, what's going to happen to the people that I'm helping to lead? He's responsible for, for, you know, he probably feels responsible for a lot of the people in Jerusalem who believed in Jesus. What are they going to do if he's gone? You would think that his mind should be racing. But what's he doing? Verse 6, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. He was sleeping. And it's not like he was just like, you know, just kind of dozing off because he was just so absolutely tired. He was sleeping hard. If you excuse the pun, he was sleeping like a rock. You know, Peter means rock. (laughs) Kidding, never mind. He was sleeping like the dead. How, How do we know that? Well, an angel shows up. The room is filled with light. That doesn't wake him up. What does the angel have to do to wake him up? Peter, Peter. No, the angel like hits him to get him up. I don't know if he slaps him. I don't know if he kicks him on the side. It says he hits him on the side to get him up. Peter is sleeping so soundly. He's sleeping as if he doesn't have a care in the world. He's sleeping as if he's experiencing what Philippians 4 talks about. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I think, that's, I think that, the fact that Peter can sleep without seeming to be, to, to, without seeming to be stressed and anxious and worried, that, that he can sleep feeling peace, seems to me to be an answer to the prayers of the people as they pray for him. And yet the people, as they're praying, have no idea that that's going on. And as we read this, we, we often just like breeze right past it, don't even think of that as an answer to prayer. And this is my point, is that a lot of times when we pray and ask God to do big things, a lot of times his answers to us are subtle and they're easy to miss. He's answering our prayers, he's working in our lives in so many different ways that, that we just tend to overlook because they're so subtle. Whether it's just giving us peace, like the peace of Philippians 4, about something that that should be distracting us and preoccupying us. Maybe it's just giving us a day with, with a few less problems than we should have. Maybe it's uh, it's 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 just an encouraging kind statement, you know, word from a friend that we don't even often think of. I think we need to we need to pay attention to all of the small things that God does that we have to be thankful for and to realize that he's constantly doing subtle things in our lives to encourage us to answer our prayers. So his answers are subtle as well as supernatural. But but then what you also see in this passage is that his answers, God's answers are surprising a lot of the time. They're they're very surprising. I'm not sure exactly what the church was praying for, right? just says earnest prayer was being made for Peter, right? What were they praying for? I'm sure they, they probably were praying that, that Peter um, w- wouldn't be anxious. Maybe they were, they were praying that, that uh, Herod would, had, would have a change of heart. Maybe they were praying that God would somehow spare Peter's life, keep him safe. What they weren't, I mean, maybe they were praying, but they, what they weren't expecting God to do was to just have Peter walk up to the door and knock on it, right? I mean, you, you can see that by everybody's reaction. And Peter comes and knocks on the door, and Rhoda, the servant girl, comes and answers. She, it's so impossible to believe that Peter's there, and in her joy, she doesn't even open the door, and she goes and tells everybody. I mean, it's, it's actually really humorous. This is such a, it's, it's, it's such a funny passage in the way that, that she, she just leaves him standing out there. I mean, he's in danger. Leaves him standing out there, runs and tells everybody else, and what, how do they respond? Rhoda, come on. You're out of your mind. That's not possible. Peter could not be out on the door. It's got to be something else. It's got to be his angel, something like that. I don't know. This just In the the list of, of things like the multiple choice answers to prayer that the church was envisioning, even as they were praying, this was not on them. This was a complete and utter surprise to them. So this is the thing. How do you relate to a God whose ways are not your ways? To a God whose thoughts are not your thoughts. To a God whose answers to prayer are not your answers to prayer. How do you relate to a God like that? It's a challenge. It's a challenge. I don't know how many of you guys were fans of uh, Robin Williams, actor, comedian, I just remember whenever, whenever you saw Robin Williams being interviewed or on a talk show or something like that, you ever see him be interviewed or, or on a talk show? He was out of control. Like the, the, the person interviewing him never knew what he was going to do next. You know, most people, most movie stars or comedians, they know the rules of the game. You, you sit there on the couch and you look for your opportunities to be funny, but you just answer the questions and maybe tell an anecdote. Robin Williams did not do that. He would be all over the place. He would stand on the couch. He would roll on the ground. He would like act like an, an like an animal, like a dog or something like that. He would be like massaging the scalp of the interview person. <laughs> he was out of control, constantly surprising the person who's trying to interview him. And I saw one of two things happen: either, either the interviewer it would be really uncomfortable to watch because the person interviewing would be like, "How can I get control of this situation? This is this is not going well," you know, or You saw a person who was just like, I'm going to roll with it. I'm not going to try to control this situation. And I'm going to laugh. I'm going to enjoy it. I think that's kind of how we have to respond to a God whose ways are not our ways, whose answers to prayer are not our answers to prayer. We need to let go of our agenda. We need to let go of control. We need to recognize that He is the one in control. And I think we need to learn to laugh too. I think we need to learn to laugh. We need to, we need to grow a sense of humor even in the way that God answers our prayers in ways that are surprising, in ways that we're not prepared for. We need to be able to roll with it. His answer might make my life more difficult. His answer might change somebody that I know in a way that makes me uncomfortable. It might cause me to give up something that I had been planning on. We need to roll with his answers, give up control and trust him and learn to laugh. So his answers are surprising. Lastly, um, his answers are shareable. His answers are shareable. Uh, my, my family was in the city a couple weeks ago. We went to this Italian pizza restaurant, a pizza place. It's a nice, nice pizza place in the city. And uh, we were looking at the menu and I noticed on the menu... One thing that was on the menu was a calzone for four people. I was like, "How big is a calzone that you need to share with four people?" I almost almost tried to talk everybody into ordering it just to see what this thing looked like. I've never seen a calzone that had to be shared by four people. Let's I'm sure you've been in restaurants where you you know they have things on the menu that you have they, they well they encourage you to share it with people you know. Or, like a Sunday. I went to an ice cream parlor once. It was called the kitchen sink. There were like 100 scoops of ice cream in a Sunday. And they were like, share this with 10 people, you know? Um, this is the thing. That's, that's, what, that's, that's what God's answers to prayer are intended to be for us as well. They're not intended to be consumed by one person, they're intended to be shared. Because that's, what, that's what's what happens here, right? Uh, and when, What's the first thing Peter does? When he realizes that this actually has happened, that God has rescued him, what does he do? He goes to the house of Mary in verse 12. The mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered and were praying. If you look down in verse 17, motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. He shares this news. He shares what God has done. And then what he's doing, do? He says, tell these things to James and to the brothers. This is a different James than the one that was just killed. This is James, Jesus' brother, who's one of the leaders of the early church. He says, make sure you share this with them. Make sure you share this with them. They need to know. They need to know what God has done, what he is capable of. They need to know how good God is, how kind he is, They need to know. And this is, I think we need to understand this about, as we pray God's answers to prayer, he wants us to share them with one another. He wants us to encourage one another with our answers to prayer. Even though they might be subtle, they might be small, he wants us to share them with one another. When they're big, he wants us to share them with one another because that's one of the ways that, that we have of, of, of being encouraged and reminded to believe that God is good and that he can work in my life too when a friend of mine shares what he has done. When was the last time you shared an answer of prayer to somebody else? I mean, forget about sharing answers to prayer. We often just pray and then we forget about it. It's like going to a restaurant and ordering the you own know, for four and then getting up and leaving before they even serve it. How often are we even really looking for God's answers to prayer, let alone trying to share them with one another? God wants us to, to look for how he is answering, no matter how surprising it might be, no matter how subtle it might be, and, and he wants us to share with one another what God is doing in our lives that we might be encouraged to believe, to have greater confidence in what he's going to do. And I think that's, again, as I read this passage, I think that's what largely what this passage is here for. Again, they're sharing it with us. God is sharing it with us. Luke is sharing it with us so that we would have greater confidence in who God is and what he will do in and through us, that we might cry out to him, that we might ask him for more and believe that he will answer. And so here we have a story of God answering prayer. He answers prayer in supernatural ways, in, 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 in subtle ways, in surprising ways. In a way that he wants to be shared. But the one common denominator here is that God answers. He answers. Will you dare to believe that God's going to answer our prayers? Will you dare to believe that God's going to answer your prayers? As you pray for him to work in your own heart, as you pray for him to work in your relationships with others as you pray for Him to work through this church in the life of the community, will you dare to believe that God is going to answer every single one of them? I think that God delights in prayer. One reason is and I shared this before, because prayer is such a a, a strong picture of the gospel. It's a, it's, it's a clear picture of what the gospel is because in prayer, what do we do? In prayer, we come to God with nothing but our need. That's what the church was doing as they prayed to God. All they had was needs. They were scared. Peter was in trouble. All they had was need. And what did God do? God met them in their need with his glorious sufficiency. That is what the gospel is. As we come to God, all we do is come to him with our need our weakness and he meets us with his grace as we come to him the only way we can come to him is, is, is with our need for forgiveness because of our sin because of our failure to believe him because of our failure to cry out to him and what does he do he meets us with his forgiveness and his mercy and his grace through the work of his son Jesus Christ that is why God answers prayer because he has promised to by giving his son for us. There was a, a, a theologian lived many years ago. Some of you guys have heard of him. His name's John Calvin. And one of the things that he talked about, he, he compared prayer to, he talked about prayer was, was like digging up treasure. Like in the gospel, because of the coming of Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection, God says, if you trust in Christ, then all you have for me is promises. Promises of, of my good and my love and my power and my presence. And, when, and what John Calvin talked about is when we pray, what we're doing is digging up the treasures of God's promises because of what Christ has done for us. That's why I, 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 I hope that we would be moved to start digging. Digging for the treasure of God because of what Christ has done. The treasure of God to, to meet us in our need with his presence and his love and his power. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you do answer prayer. Father, I thank you that uh, you have and you will answer the prayer that we prayed at the beginning of this sermon. And, and you do that not because we are worthy, but because Christ is, is worthy. He has won every single answer of prayer for us. Father, we pray that you would help us to, to, to pursue the treasure that Christ has bought for us of your, of your goodness and power in our lives, that we would pray to you, that we would find that you are faithful, that we would be satisfied with your sufficiency. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come to the Lord's table.